Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Well, tonight sees the coming together of the master and the apprentice, or is it more the prodigal son? Arsenal against Manchester City, Mikel Arteta versus Pep Guardiola, and all with top spot on the line. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. In one team, every time I score a goal, I jump, come back, he was sitting there. It was Arsenal. So in that moment, I said, oh, that guy, that guy likes Arsenal. What, what's the talking point here? You go, oh, well, it's Arteta and Pep, so we're asking about that. We don't need to do that now. The top of the league. And great energy. I sense it uh, since I arrived um, after the Brentford game um, from the staff, from every other club. It was that mixture between anger and desire to play the, the next game. So we need to use that for tomorrow. When I look at this Arsenal team, I see a lot of shades of the early kind of Emirates era under Arsene Wenger. So we have someone from either side on the pod to talk about probably the two most exhausting managers to watch on the touchline. Manchester City correspondent Sam Lee and our Arsenal writer Art De Roche. Art, I'm going to start with you. Is he the prodigal son? To be fair, I, I, I feel like a lot of people kind of marked him as that because he went straight from Manchester City to Arsenal. But a lot of people forgot the managers he'd worked under before then. Obviously, Arsene Wenger being a big one, but also David Moyes. And I think you've seen traces of all those managers in this Arsenal team since he took over three years ago. So when people kind of make that Pep Arteta comparison and just leave it there, it always feels kind of like you're just scratching the surface a little. And you've seen sometimes they're really happy to defend deep as a team. Sometimes they're very almost anti-Pep <laughs> in a way. But um, I feel like obviously with it being Manchester City coming up, obviously those comparisons are going to come. And they also have quite similar ideas anyway. So yeah, it's a fair it's a fair statement. But I, I, I also think that... Uh, people do forget that other managers have influenced him yeah. as well. Does it, does it, go on, does it annoy you a bit? You said it doesn't, it, it only <laughs> scratches the surface. Does it annoy you a bit when people kind of just go off this kind of face level comparisons, but actually there's more thoughts because the reason I'm asking that is because stuff like that really annoys me. So it could be a really good podcast. <laughs> <this>. <laughs> can I, can I just, can I just point out that I do deal in more than just the boat no, sometimes? I no, have, yeah, I, I wasn't. That answer wasn't like pointed at you, Mark. Um, no, no, was no, no. I tell you what annoys me, Art. Correspondents coming <laughs> coming on this pod and accusing me of base level no, questions. No. That's what annoys me. <laughs> no, um, Come on, Art. I, but I, I think uh, it's it's just more how um, the general perspective is. I'd say, rather than just no, going that's, that's off that I mean. question. That's what, I mean. that's what I mean. It's the same with Pep. It's like, oh, is he arrogant? Is he overthinking? It's like, well, just look what's happened in the last few games. And then we'll, yeah, so then we'll get there. In a way, it, it mm. is a little bit annoying, especially when it 
comes to Arsenal because when I look at this Arsenal team, I see a lot of shades of the early kind of Emirates era under Arsene Wenger. So around 2010, that kind of time when they had Fabregas, Nasri, Arshavin, those guys, I see a lot of kind of similarities. So for people to kind of not see that sometimes is annoying, but obviously not, not, not everyone is going to see those kind of comparisons because they weren't really focusing on Arsenal at the time. So yeah, it, it is a little bit annoying, but I get why people do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about the specific tactics of this match a little bit later on, which if you actually are going to end up listening to this podcast <laughs> after the game has taken place, could could be a very, very uh, interesting discussion that we have uh, pre-match when you listen back That'll to it. That'll show up a few people, won't it? Myself included. And yeah, it will work. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, th- this first part of the podcast, it's on the two managers, their relationship their personalities and so on and so forth. How do you think, Sam, Pep has been both personally and professionally since Mikel Arteta left? Because he he, he had a he had a massive role mm. at City. Yeah, so I think probably one of the most pertinent things, and I guess Arsenal fans will have known this if you know when they'd read profiles of Arteta when he took over. But one of the things that Guardiola kind of has always had or and therefore needs in an assistant is somebody who, when he's out on the touchline and he's kind of scratching his head or his chin and first five minutes going, what's going on here? And he's processing it himself. He wants to go back to his bench and sit down and somebody who's his assistant to say, this is what I think. And he's going, oh yeah, you're right. And then we'll, we'll change this and we'll change that. He always had that with Dominic Torrent. And then he had that with Arteta when Torrent left. And then when Arteta left midway through that 1920 season... He didn't have it. So they went and got Juan Marleo, who obviously, you know, Pep worked with him forever and they're on the same page about everything. And he did columns for the Athletic during the World Cup and they were very entertaining, kind of Guardiola-like in his thoughts and that kind of thing. And I don't know, maybe it's something he needs now. But Arteta is one of those people who was on the, the same wavelength as him. And in that season, um, when City were already struggling, it certainly didn't make matters any easier when Guardiola didn't have that. So it kind of needed Juan Marleo and the you know, Fernandinho and the dressing room to help reboot the last great city that have won the last two titles, but there was a bit of a period of difficulty after Arteta. And I suppose it's only this season, really, that they've, that they've come on the radar as challenges. There was a game at the Etihad at the start of last season where City won easily. Did they score five? Jack had got sent off? It was something mm. like that. Mm. I saw a stat this morning that City have, was it City have won the last 10 games against Arsenal in the Premier League. Like, you, you don't assume that's how it is because of how this season has been. But yeah, so it's only this season, really, in terms of you know, demeanour and attitude that Arteta's really had anything to do with it. I'm sure Guardiola's probably a bit happier that it's not Liverpool and Klopp that are at the top. Um, but as he was kind of saying, as he's saying all the time, but as he said in his press conference yesterday, what he wants is for his team to fight for the title all the way. And it doesn't matter if it's Arteta or anyone else. And I noticed that Arteta said the same thing about Pep. Yeah, the other thing that I, one of the things that I was told quite early on is that Arteta was a very useful conduit to get to Pep so if you wanted to put a presentation to Pep or an idea to Pep within the city organization then Arteta was quite a useful man in well maybe you need to phrase it like this or this is the best time to and that understanding of Guardiola actually benefited the organization yeah you're absolutely right um yeah, you should have, you should have answered your own question. That was better than what I said. No, no, no. Um, so yeah, because the thing is, so when Juan Marleo came in, and since he's left, you know, 
so when Malio, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Cancelo left, because Cancelo gets a bit grumpy when he's not playing, to put it mildly. But um, but Juan Malio was always the kind of conduit between them. And now he's gone. There was no one to really fix that. Now Leo, Leo's gone. There's no one to really fix that. But now obviously Cancelo's gone. So that kind of highlights that. And that's another thing that Guardiola did need without Arteta being there. Because Guardiola's just so intense. Like The players don't all necessarily like him. They, you know, they've got professional pride. And when I mentioned Fernandinho and the other players, that was because a couple of years ago, they got themselves together and were like, right, lads, come on, we need to get this together. They won the league. They got to the Champions League final. But a lot of them wanted to go because they were a bit tired of Pep. So you do need that kind of middleman. But then again, that's not to say that Pep's terrible at this or Arteta's great at that because there's managers and assistant coaches up and down the land all over the world where you need the assistant to be a bit closer to the players because the manager is a bit more unreachable. That's completely normal, but it's not something that City have always had, and it's definitely something that Arteta was good at. But again, I'm sure he's got his assistants at Arsenal that do the old Arteta job for him, because he's going to be the intense, heavy one that the Arsenal players can't really relate to, so they need an arm around the shoulder from somebody else. Uh, that's, a, that's a good point on Arteta's backroom staff, isn't it, Art? Actually, he's got, he's got what I would call quite a... Um, eclectic mix of assistants actually but 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 maybe quite necessary in regards you know in terms of experience where where they've worked in the past and by bringing them all together they're, they're quite a complete unit his backroom staff yeah you've got obviously Steve Round and uh, Albert Steubenberg who are very experienced have been coaches at Everton, um, Manchester United under Louis van Gaal for Steubenberg. And then you've got the flip side of that with um, a guy like Carlos Cuesta, who's still only 26, 27 years old, but um, has still got a lot of experience as, and is someone who can probably speak to the players on more of a level, because not just because he's close in age, but also if people remember the Amazon documentary, there are a few scenes of him basically almost giving them a pep talk before a game, showing them, reminding them what their strengths are um, in little one-to-one kind of meetings. Um, I think in one of his sessions, he might have called Ben White or said Ben White's best quality was his ability to learn. And it's little things like that that I think can get you as a player in a better mindset. Whereas if you didn't have, I guess, the support of a coach, let let alone the manager, because we all know clubs are much deeper than just the manager. I think that goes a long way. And as Sam mentioned, and 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 you mentioned, Mark, Arteta's probably quite similar to Pep now in in that it's a different job that he's doing. There are different demands, so he will probably be a bit less like the middleman that he was at Manchester City, and a bit more demanding, as we've seen with his non-negotiables and how those have worked over the past three years. Do you think both men are proud of their associations with each other? I think so, yeah. Um, speaking from, I guess, the Arsenal-Arteta side, what has stood out when Pep has spoken about Arteta is it goes back to when he was a player, calling him when Barcelona and Bayern Munich had... English opposition in the Champions League and asking for tips and stuff like that. And I think if you're getting that kind of base level of recognition from someone who you've looked up to since you were a kid in the Barcelona Youth Academy, La Masia, I can only assume the pride is going to be there forever. But I also think 
from Arteta's standpoint, the fact that he's been able to actually compete in games, mostly in the in the cup competitions against Pep. And as well, the New Year's Day game last season where Arsenal uh, were quite unlucky to, to throw the game away. But uh, yeah, I think the fact that he has competed in certain games also helps in that regard. Yeah, and also so, just in terms of Pep speaking about Arteta, then obviously it goes back to when they were, they were playing or Arteta was playing. But his praise of Arteta's work at Arsenal has gone back to when Arsenal, you know, when lots of Arsenal fans wanted him to leave, when they weren't top of the table. So it's always been completely genuine. Um, and then obviously from Arteta's side, I mean, it's Pep Guardiola. You've, you've, you've worked with it. I mean, I'm sure he would have admired him anyway as a coach. He then worked with him for three or four years and saw it all up, up close. You know, how you get a group of talented players with huge egos and expectations to do what you want them to do. Fundamentally, from a, from a coaching point of view, that's that's all you need them to do, but it's never that simple. He's seen that up close. It's Guardiola. He's done it forever in his career. You know, the more people say, you know, when I asked earlier on about, do you get annoyed about these kind of things? I've got myself annoyed. Yeah. The, the more people say, <laughs> oh, well, he's he's won. It's like these listed titles that he's won over the last 12 years. It's almost like he's had it too easy. It's like, that's how good he is. Like Nobody else is doing this. And Arteta has seen that close up. And there was, I, I did Sky Sports News this morning and there was an article and it said, Arteta's sick of being seen as like the the protege. And I think he's just sick of being asked about it because I think he's always going to yeah, respect yeah. that Guardiola yeah. link and he's always going to he's always going to cherish those opportunities to go into coaching. And Guardiola and City didn't stand in his way when he wanted to leave and he'll respect that. I think he's just sick of being asked about it now because they're top of the league. When we go into press yeah. conferences, we sometimes, you know, if Arsenal play in City and it's, you know, the 10 defeats in a row Arsenal that we were talking about earlier, you think, as a journalist, how are we going to, what, what's the talking point here? You go, oh, well, it's Arteta and Pep, so we'll ask him about that. But we don't need to do that now. They're top of the league. We don't need to find extra stories around it. This is the story. So I'm sure he's just sick of that. I, I, although I can't, I, I, I'm trying to think of the last time something was this close between two managers, as in a relationship like this, where they've been as successful as they are. And, and it just took me back to, you know, we tend to men- mention American sports at least once a week on the on the podcast, but there's a big thing in the NFL where everybody is from a coach, because so many assistants, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, then get head coaches job. They have what they call coaching trees within, within the NFL. So, you know, you've come from a Bill Belichick coaching tree mm-hmm. or an Andy Reid coaching tree because you've been one of their, but that, that, doesn't that hasn't been something within our game actually because not many not many assistants then go on to deliver at a very high level do they uh, I, I, off the top of my i mean no, it's difficult. steve mclaren had a go in yeah. various places but i wouldn't say to to the extent that arteta is doing at, at the moment mm, i think you're maybe starting to see it with a pep tree starting to blossom like arteta <laughs> company Oh, yeah, there's someone else who's top. Yeah, Chavi as well. So you're starting to maybe get a little pep tree. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't really know. Mate, is there? Would you count a Jose tree yet? But I'm mm. not sure if it's been successful enough. There might have been a Ferguson tree with Marquis and Steve Bruce and mm. stuff. But yeah. but in but in some in ways they were. Yeah, in term yeah, in terms of assistance. Anyhow, that was just a, a, a random <laughs> thought that popped into man. In the build up to this. This game and this title race at the moment are are you just 
Does Guardiola appear different to you in any way? I mean, you mentioned how he was with Klopp in those title battles. Is he different? Because not only not only is it someone different and a different club, the environment that they're coming into this game is different because of everything that's gone on with the investigation. I suppose the best way to put it is, so after the, there was an international break in like the start of April last season. And then after that, it was like every game City have got now is massive because it was like Atletico Madrid, Liverpool, Atletico Madrid, Liverpool. And then beyond that, any mm. Premier League game, if they drop points, you'd think they were going to lose the league. Then it was Real Madrid in the Champions League. So everything was massive. And I just remember thinking, Guardiola's just so relaxed here and he's just so at ease. And I think, and that was because he knew that his players were in a place where they could give everything, they'd give 100%, they'd go out. If they made mistakes, fine, that's football. But they were there, they were concentrated, they knew what they had to do. And you can't ask for anything more than that as a manager. And then after that, what will be, will be. If you go and concede two ridiculous late goals against Real Madrid, you know that's Real Madrid, that's football, it can happen. At least they were there, at least they did it. So he was completely at ease then. Now, he's not. Um, and I think it would have been the same, you know, obviously you had the backdrop of Klopp and Liverpool there. But if you're happy with what's going on inside your dressing room, I think you're happy. But recently, Guardiola's not had that. Um, obviously, after the Tottenham game at the Etihad, when City were 2-0 down and came back to win 4-2, he get that fairly remarkable press conference and TV interviews when, you know, he said, you know, they haven't got the hunger and desire that Arsenal have got because that is kind of a final last-ditch attempt to try and light that fire under them because yeah. if he realised if it carried on like it was, they wouldn't win the league. So he's got that to worry about. And now in terms of those Premier League charges that you mentioned, it, it maybe helps in a way because I don't think the players are that bothered, but I think... It, it, it just changes the narrative. You know, everyone went into that Villa game thinking, oh, this is going to be a big defiant City. Whereas if that hadn't have happened, you'd go, well, what are we going to get from City today? They just lost to Spurs. They weren't very good. What's going on with this City team? All of a sudden now, you're expecting them to like tear through Villa. And that might have, it's obviously like uh, lit something in Pep. But then he was saying after that Villa game, the behaviour on the training ground, his words, that body language that he's talked about has been better recently. So you start to think, he is getting towards that uh, kind of state of being at ease about everything but not quite yet but it's more it's a long way of saying it's what's going on inside the dressing room rather than outside that d- d- dictates his mood and I think we've seen that well always but especially since that last April but how have you viewed Arteta's mood as uh, art as the uh, as this game has got closer I, I, I just from a sort of casual observer's point of view I feel I feel that he's got calmer in the last <laughs> two or three weeks. I mean, he, the Everton defeat, he was very magnanimous after that, for example, wasn't he? You know, whereas post-World Cup for two or three weeks, he seemed to go absolutely bonkers at everything. Whereas, <laughs> whereas now, it, as I say, to the casual observer who doesn't watch, you know, his body language for the whole 90 minutes of a game, he appears a little bit calmer. Is that right? Yeah, I, he's, especially in press conferences, he's up for a bit more of a laugh. Um, yeah. I think he's always been quite short in press conferences, but now there's a bit more give and take. It's interesting because this whole kind of siege mentality thing that's going on after all the decisions at the weekend, it's not the first time he's done it. If you think back to the start of last season after they they lost, sorry, the first three games of the season, I remember he came out before the Chelsea game, so the second game of that season, And he went on this kind of, I won't call it a rant, but he basically said people on the outside are trying to destroy Arsenal. And it felt very odd at the time looking at that because it didn't really feel like that. But I think that was maybe more 
of a thing to kind of focus the players maybe and get them into a mindset that, okay, if pe- people are going to say whatever they want to, but we've got to do our job. And I think that's been a clear kind of theme since since those months. And as you say, he's, he's very energetic and he always has been, to be fair, even when Arsenal were finishing eighth for two seasons in a row, he was just as animated, but now there's more eyes on him. So I think that's the only real difference. But as you kind of get to the more, more important games, I guess we're still learning about him as well because he he went quite big last year towards the end of the season. Uh, if you remember the the Newcastle game where he basically let the players know if if you want to play in the Champions League, this isn't good enough. And I think one thing that he's often said is he has to be a different type of manager in different moments. So it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that in the next 24 hours. We're recording this before the match. So let's move on to the match itself, which as I've said, if you're listening after the match has happened, (laughs) your, your hindsight is going to be a wonderful thing. We'll do it next. It's there, it's there for a manager to be successful. It really is. It's just a case of getting it right. We have the public, we have the stadium. I think that the owner or the chairman and the manager are crucial to each other. And if that's a good partnership and, and they're backing each other up and they're supporting each other, there's no reason why it can't be in the top four all of the time. That was the unmistakable voice of Sir Bobby Robson, talking to me, George Culkin, during the months and years before he died. Thanks to the generosity of his family, The Athletic are marking what would have been Sir Bobby's 90th birthday this weekend with Bobby 90, an exclusive four-part podcast series featuring previously unheard interviews with one of football's most iconic figures. It's packed with stories about growing up in the North East, managing Newcastle United, Barcelona, England, as well as players like Gazza, Brian Robson and Alan Shearer. And it details his repeated bouts with cancer establishing the charitable foundation which carries his name. It's Bobby at his charismatic and emotional best. Listen to Bobby 90 for free by searching for Pollen the Tyne on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all usual podcast providers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think you've already mentioned it, Art, that... 
the FA Cup defeat might be a real positive for Arsenal because it showed them how close they are to City. Yeah, going back to that, it felt like they weren't too far away and that was with a rotated squad, whereas City were pretty much full strength unless Sam is annoyed by that statement. But yeah, it felt like Arsenal were, were able to compete for at least an hour. And again, Trossard in that game, I feel like he showed why he was needed. When Martinelli isn't having the best of days, Trossard was able to slot in and didn't look out of place. He was actually Arsenal's best player on the night, I thought. And going from that, obviously, both teams are probably in slightly different moments now, even though that was only a couple of weeks ago. But just having that as a reference point, I think, should give Arsenal a bit more belief going into this game, especially the way more so Saliba and Gabriel dealt with Erlen Haaland. Obviously, we don't know whether he's fit yet, but um, I just felt they were composed at the Etihad, which hasn't been the case often the last time they went there. As Sam mentioned, they lost 5-0 and it was a completely different team. So um, yeah, that that uh, performance rather than the result at City uh, in the FA Cup does uh, provide some encouragement. Bernardo Silva at centre-half, Sam. Ruben <laughs> Diaz on the, on the right of a front three. Who knows? Who knows? Um, he, he, I, I, look, I know, I, know, I know there is a frustration around does Guardiola overthink it? No, what, no, one no, of the interesting no. discussions we had the other day with, with, with someone was, it's not a case of overthinking it. It's a, is there a concern of his, do you think, when he worries that an opponent may have figured City out? And that's when he tries to change something, which would be very interesting going into this game. Yeah, well, again, it would be interesting because when I said who knows, it was just who knew, who knows what, what kind of City team are going to turn up, never mind the players on the pitch. Will it be another performance like Tottenham away the other week? Or will this in, has the behaviour on the training ground improved to such an extent that they can go and be prime City and dominate the game and, and pick Arsenal off and give Haaland the chances he needs? Honestly, who knows? Um, but yeah, in terms of that question there, the, one of the probably the main thing about the the FA Cup game was Arsenal's approach. They went man to man, and City weren't the fit and fire in City at that point. But also, they were never really allowed to be because that approach from Arsenal disrupted them mm. so much. They had to go long. They had to play up to Haaland, and I mean he's not a target man, but it wasn't so much the headers he was having to win. But there was that early one. Was it Rob Holden? He turned him after about 30 seconds and got pulled down and they didn't actually get the free kick. But you think if he can turn those into running in behind, having a one-on-one, that might be the kind of thing that, that suits City. And again, in terms of who knows and maybe turning the game on its head, I mentioned actually last April when City had Liverpool, they had them in the Premier League. And it was fascinating because Liverpool played like City did. They had Thiago and they were you know, trying to knit the play together with short passes. And Guardiola played Sterling, Jesus and Foden as a front three. And he was playing long balls up to them from the back, like, like Liverpool yeah. do, turning, turning the defence around and battling for the second balls. It was incredible. So in terms of this, what's going to happen tonight, I've no idea. And, it, and in terms of your question, does he try and, is it 4D chess, you know? if the other managers worked him out as he then counted him already. But yeah, that is part of it. To be honest, I think as much as I don't like the overthinking thing, I have to admit that 
I see why people say it at least. You know, he does do various different things for various different reasons. I, I wrote in an article yesterday about Haaland. The Chelsea lineup. If I don't know if you remember this, but when they played Chelsea at the start of January, he changed it at half-time. He didn't like it. He said he wanted to change after 20 minutes, and it didn't work. But he played Cancelo on the right wing and Foden on the left, and he had Haaland up front. And he had City's four main midfielders, with apologies to Calvin Phillips, but the other ones. And then three defenders at the back, because he's still trying to find a way to get the right balance in the team. So they've got enough cut and thrust through Foden and, and De Bruyne and Haaland, but enough balance and passes yeah. through the other players. He's always trying to find that balance. But that was at a time when he, he put Walker and Cancelo in, knowing that they weren't in the best of moods, and Foden, because he put them in to try and give them game time to make them happier. And he did it so he'd have the right balance in his team. And he did it so he could counteract Chelsea if they went to five at the back. All of these things are going on in his head. Now, is that overthinking or is that genius? That is always going to split people. Uh, but my main issue with it is people will say this. If he does something that we don't understand with the lineup now, tonight, and then he, he loses, it'll be overthinking. But if he wins, it, no, it, it's not even that he gets praised as being a genius. Normally, it just doesn't get mentioned. The other day with, yeah. with Bernardo Silva filling in at centre-back and left-back, and he gave them that balance. He was that extra man. He was like the false nine without being the false nine because you can't have that with Haaland. But he was like a false nine on the other side of the midfield. He gave them that ex- those extra legs in midfield next to Rodri rather than between the wingers. And that was genius. But, I mean, will it work tonight? Probably not. Do you just need a Nathan Ake to go and tackle Saka? Probably. But whatever he tries tonight... <laughs> It's, there's so much thought that goes into it. And yeah, I can see why people say that's overthinking. But I always say this, like if he sat down and just explained everything he, he wanted to do, I don't think anybody on the face of this earth would go, that's <laughs> stupid, what are you doing? Like, yeah. Uh, whereas with Arsenal, I think we could probably all name their starting 11 mm. for tonight. They've named the same starting 11 in each of their last six Premier League games. But from, from what you see of them, are just because they name the same starting eleven doesn't mean that they may not be tactically different depending on who the opposition is. Or is it, uh, is it, are the tactics the same every week as well? Yeah, it's quite interesting because I feel really early on in Arteta's time as Arsenal head coach, he started as and then he became manager. There were times where he was branded with that overthinking tar, I guess. And... From me as well, because I remember a Europa League semi-final against Villarreal, where he used Emil Smith-Rowe as a false nine rather than turning to Aubameyang or Lacazette. I can't remember if Lacazette was injured at the time, but that was an experiment that just went wrong in probably the biggest moment of that season. Whereas probably from, I guess, around Christmas last year is when you started to get a more consistent lineup. And it all kind of came from that midfield at that time when Granit Xhaka came back from injury. And I think one moment um, that really sticks out in Arsenal's journey since that time is the game against Man City again on New Year's Day last season, where for, I guess, about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes before Bukayo Saka scored the opening goal, Arsenal were in total control. Quick, snappy passes, just kept City in their own half, really, and kept their foot on their neck for, for, for 10, 15 minutes. And that's where I feel the belief, you could really kind of feel it from the Emirates, rather than it just being a kind of vague thought. And going into this season, that's another reason why 
I kind of feel it's a bit more Wenger like than Pep like with how consistent the lineups have yeah. been because he he's almost focusing not totally but maybe eighty percent eighty percent of his focus is on what Arsenal are doing. I don't think he's trying to predict too much of uh, what he has to combat. It's more about imposing Arsenal style. They are. I mean, they are a beautifully balanced starting eleven, aren't they? I mean, they just, just every every component just fits the position that they play. What um, final question to you both? What one area of the opposition can cause the team you cover the most problems? So, what what will Arsenal be worried most about with City? Uh, Sorry, it's a bit obvious. <laughs> um, <laughs> If if Haaland does start, it's just how they deal with those runs in behind because Arsenal have their defensive line has creeped up for the last couple of years. So their average was around thirty nine meters up the pitch. Um, that's how high they've been defending this season. So it just depends if they get that balance right um, in terms of being able to defend high and squeeze City. If not, then they could be in for some problems. Okay. Yeah. Sam. Can I be a bit more abstract? Actually, I think it's that kind of. <laughs> yeah, you think, may more. You definitely be abstract. No, yeah. no, no. I was going to say that. Regardless of, I mean, that makes sense. Villa played a high line the other day, and all of a sudden, City were playing balls over the top, and it Harlan looked yeah. at home. But if if I'm being abstract, I think it's that it's going to be the energy in the stadium because Arteta's talked about that. He he said, did he say they're going to be we're going to play with 15 men? So it's not even the 12th. <laughs> yeah. There's loads of them. Yeah. Uh, and Guardiola said. He anticipated it. He was like, you know, the, he mentioned the reaction to these Premier League charges. He thinks that's going to whip the Arsenal crowd up as well. And obviously for all the other reasons that the Arsenal crowd have got. So it's that kind of energy and intensity from Arsenal and the vibrancy in the stadium. That's what they need to match on the pitch and combat off it. That's what they need to be worried about, I think. Sam, uh, we'll leave it there. Although I know that you're both your your main concern is that City and Arsenal draw these two games against each other and United <laughs> come through and win the title. I know you're both worried about that. Uh, Sam, uh, thank you. All, <laughs> all the yeah, right. All the fallout on the Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber, then you can be just one pound ninety nine a month. Head to theAthletic.com slash football pod to grab that deal and we'll be back with another episode for you tomorrow hope you both enjoy it i'll try <laughs> the athletic